0: Sometimes when it comes to going, uh, we gotta work ourselves up to it. We gotta we gotta tell ourselves this is the right thing to do. This is this it's like going to the gym, right? Hardest piece of equipment to work at the gym, front door. <laughs> if you can get in there, like if if I can get there and through that front door, like I've I'm just confession time. I've gone to the gym put on worship music, I'm just going to pray in my truck for a minute, fell in back asleep for half an hour, and then it's time to go to work, right? So it's like sometimes we know that that's the push in our human struggle, but Jesus is asking us, he's commanding us, he's calling us, he's admonishing us or encouraging us to go and do the things he's called us to do, and we can do it because he's with us. And in Matthew 28, uh, we see this great commission, this last words to his disciples. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have a call to go. And what we're looking at is what does that really mean for us in 2019 on a snowy day in Alberta what does it look like to go why don't we pray heavenly father i thank you this morning that your word is always it's alive it's powerful it reaches into our hearts and it causes us to think more about you and your purpose and what you want to do in our lives and what you want to do in the lives of others through us so i just pray this morning that we would be ready to receive what you're speaking and what you're saying and we would be challenged But we'd also become doers of the word, not only those that hear it and let it fall by the wayside. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So this idea of let's go comes out of a command to go. It can mean, you know, yes, we go afar off. Yes, we do missions trips sometimes. Yes, we go to do certain works in certain places at certain times. But really, this word can mean as you go or when you go, there's something God is calling us to do. Did you know that there are nations starting to send missionaries to Canada and the United States because we're just doing a poor job at reaching our own countries, and as we go and as we move and as we, I shouldn't say that. We need to do a better job, let's just put it that way, at reaching our communities in our nations. And so as we go, there is a power of the Holy Spirit, there is an opportunity for us to move into the things that God wants us to do, and we've been called to this life of going, because life with Jesus, like I said last week, is not only about what we've been rescued from, but it's about what we've been rescued for. Jesus invited people along on this rescue mission that really it was all about Jesus. Jesus came into the world to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to make disciples and make a way to the Father. But yet he invites us in our humanness, in our insecurities, in our frailties. And he says, would you come along with me? And as you go, I'm going to keep working through you. And many people are going to encounter Jesus. Now that's kind of a scary thought sometimes. But God was so committed to this plan, Jesus actually leaves the earth and tells these 12 guys, now it's your job. And they've done a decent job because we're here today, we're in churches today, and we still talk about all of these things. And we have to have this as you go or when you go lifestyle if we're actually going to cause our friends and neighbors to encounter Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus was the perfect example and he was the perfect model of this. And sometimes when we think of discipleship, we get a little kind of leery on what is that? Are they going to make me pay $1,500 and call it a discipleship school? And then I'm going to clean chairs and vacuum for free and all that stuff. And No, but there's a growth process that we're all on called discipleship. And it's what we're supposed to call other people to as they start their journey with Jesus. But maybe a better word is apprenticeship. Maybe it's this come alongside someone, and we are apprenticing to be more like Jesus, and we are bringing other people along to learn how to be more like Jesus, just as we are learning how to be more like Jesus, and there's this apprenticeship model, and so we talked about Jesus calling his first disciples last week, and now right after he calls the first disciples, if you go to John chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning, we come to a story where Jesus calls disciples to himself, and he says, hey guys, Uh, let's just go do the things that we normally do and I'm going to start working and I'm going to start moving and the disciples were really learning on the job and so we come to John chapter 2 and we come to a wedding in the town of Cana in a village of Cana in Galilee close to where Jesus did a lot of his ministry so it says John chapter 2 verse 1 the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee and Jesus mother was there And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. Some translations say Jesus was also invited to the wedding. We don't know if the disciples were invited. Maybe it was a small town. Everyone was invited to the wedding. But it says the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Jesus looks at his mom, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, For my time has not yet come. Now, some translators take this as, well, why was Jesus being harsh towards his mother? No, this wasn't actually that. This word, actually, woman or dear woman, could be taken, don't worry about it. You're getting all worked up and you're fretting over this. It's going to be okay. It's almost that intimation as well. And Jesus saying, my time has not yet come. It wasn't that he wasn't doing miracles or anything like that. But he was more concerned about the mission he was on than all these other little things, yet he performed miracles all along the way. So was, uh, he says, my time is not yet come, but his mother, everyone say but. but. But his mother. You ever had something where you're like, Mom, I'm not going to do that, and she's like, oh, you're not? And then like she starts rolling the ball on something, and you're like, okay, I guess this is happening, right? But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. So standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servant followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. So this miraculous sign at Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in Him, there's something about growing faith as we walk with Jesus and seeing the way He works and the way He moves that happens in day to day life situations. You see, not too long after Jesus was down by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and He calls uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and then some believe maybe by this time um, Andrew and uh, not Andrew, Philip and I don't know one of the other disciples. There might be about seven disciples at this time. So Jesus goes to a wedding, and all of a sudden he shows up with like five to seven random guys, right? And it's like, this might be the reason why we put RSVP and the number of people you're bringing <laughs> to things but I mean he's Jesus and maybe it was a small town and everyone knew about it and so it just happened to be oh yeah we're all going to be at the wedding Jesus we're just going to go and it was just kind of another day in the life in a town in Galilee and this is just what you do we're celebrating this couple who got married and uh, so they go to this ordinary everyday life situation and it's at this place that Jesus does extraordinary things And I want us to see something about that, that Jesus is into doing extraordinary things in ordinary, everyday life situations, because there's nothing strange about a wedding. Weddings happen. Yes, they're special moments. Yes, the bride and groom think it's the most important thing in the world, and the rest of us are like, what are we eating for dinner? How much do I have to spend on the gift? And what time are you going to wrap this thing up? Because I have to set up at 7.30 tomorrow morning, right? And, uh, and it's exciting, and we celebrate, and we do these things. But some things we should know about life with Jesus and life around us as we go. At this wedding, even in the joy and the celebration and the time of uh, extraordinary uh, blessing that they were receiving from friends and family, in that day, you would go to a wedding, and it would be in a house. And so when your wedding was over, you didn't go on your honeymoon, you held open house for seven days. So newlyweds, it's like, you had your wedding, now you have to have an open house, and the community is going to come in and out of your home for seven days, and you play host and play nice, and they bring you gifts, and you are serving things. But the wine ran out, and can I tell you something? That in the best of times of life, in joy, in celebration, in whatever we think is the pinnacle of our lives, there is still a lack and a want outside of Jesus. There was a shortfall. Because when we look at this earth and this life and we think that the pleasures of life and money or friends or whatever it is is going to fill us to the ultimate fulfillment, it comes to an end. It comes to a time where everyone goes back to their jobs. Now you're at home paying a mortgage, paying your bills, taking care of your kids. And though there has been moments of great joy outside of Jesus, we all face want, and lack in our lives at times. But sometimes when we've experienced the life of Jesus, I think we forget that that's where the outside world is at. That sometimes, in the church even... We wonder why we're lacking fulfillment, we're lacking joy, we're lacking peace in our lives. I can tell you it's not because of your bank account. It's not because of the situation you're in. Those things sometimes, those pressures being lifted, yes, it helps. But your ultimate joy and fulfillment needs to come back to being in Jesus. And in the church and as believers, we we can know that, we can understand it, and we can actually make it our anchor in life, and we can know that there is no lack and there is no want in Jesus, and we have a constant source that we can keep coming to. But think about what it was like to live your life outside of that. You work all day, you work all evening, you're chasing this, you're chasing that, and there is still something lacking and wanting. You can make all the money in the world, you could be on the top of your career, and there is still a want and a desire. And this is the condition of the human heart, and this is what Jesus is showing us. And my question for us this morning is, as we go, are we concerned about the lack and want that people face in their lives? When we have an answer that says, I know what can fill that void. It's the power and presence of Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves if we are concerned about their situation or their lack or their want. Because sometimes, let's be honest, it's very difficult because we spend so much time having to get our own fulfillment and fulfilling our own lack and want. But let me tell you that if you would say, Jesus, I'm going to be willing to pour into other people, he will keep pouring into you. That's just something we need to remember and understand. Second thing we need to know about as we go and when we go is that we must be open to listen to and be obedient to do whatever he tells us to do. In the Passion Translation, it says, Then Mary went to the servants and told them, Whatever Jesus tells you, make sure you do it. Now, this is where life and faith with Jesus and hearing the voice of God and the Holy Spirit gets a little interesting. Have you ever had to share your faith and felt God saying, I want you to share your faith or I want you to encourage that person? Anybody? You kind of felt that? You're like, he's going to make me put up my hand. I don't even want to put up my hand. Now he's going to tell us to go share our faith. Um, I've done it. I've been on vacation, and that's fine. Jesus, I'll work on my vacation for you. You know, you called me. I've been on a vacation where I don't have my kids, so it's just me and my wife, and we're away for a weekend, and then an opportunity comes to minister to somebody, but it's just the two of us, like, I don't even have my kids here, like, sometimes, no, I shouldn't say that, (laughs) I love my kids, but I'm alone on a weekend away with my wife, and a ministry opportunity comes up. And God's like, you need, to, you need to speak into this lady's life. And I'm like, yeah, but God, like, I'm on vacation. I'm alone with my wife. You know, talking to someone else about Jesus. Maybe not as romantic as we thought. And then, I took my kids swimming this week. And all I could think about was this. I was sitting in the hot tub, and I remembered this situation very vividly. Then I'm on vacation with my wife, no kids, ministry situation, and I'm in a bathing suit. Now, to minister to someone in your bathing suit, that has to be the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Because in that moment, there's no way God, without God, anything of, like, is happening through me and my giftings, okay? So I did what any good pastor would do. I started the conversation and this lady starts telling us about her family life and her her kid who's almost done high school and trying to figure this out. And right now she's like she's living on a boat with this guy and she starts telling us I'm like, Oh man, and I'm like, hon, like, why don't you talk to her? And so we start talking to her and then I did what any great pastor would do. I left. I went into the other pool. And legitimately floated for an hour until my wife finished ministering to this lady. And then it wasn't a very romantic weekend. I come back and she's like, thanks. (laughs) And she's a better person than I am. And But you know, whatever Jesus asks of us, whenever he asks us to do it, man, that really puts as you go or when you go in perspective. Jesus... You could ask me to do something out of the norm, out of the ordinary that doesn't make sense in a moment and a time where, God, I really don't want to right now. Like, I don't know if I want to share about you in this moment and in this situation, but as we go and as we move in our relationship with God, he is going to start asking us to do some things. And our job is to hear what he says and be obedient to do it. This is why Mary says to the, the, the servants at the wedding, he just says, do whatever he says. Mary's faith as the mother of Jesus, that he is the son of God, is so high at this point. I mean, come on, like there's no one that believes in you like your mom believes in you usually not always the case but she just tells these servants whatever he says do it and then Jesus starts unfolding this crazy plan so as we go we need to know that there is a want and there's a lack in the earth I want you to know that God is going to call us sometimes and we need to be willing and obedient to step into the things that he asks us to do whatever he says do it But the question is, when he starts moving that way, when we start seeing the want, when he starts asking us to step out, there are three things I want us to know and I want us to do when it comes to following Jesus and going as we go. I want us to understand something. The first thing that we need to do and we need to understand is that Jesus wants to move in ordinary, everyday places of life. Can I get the next slide up here, please? Jesus wants to move in the everyday, ordinary situations of life. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding. Two verses that when we read our Bible, we're like, great. Why is that information important? It just goes to show that Jesus went into everyday situations. It was the third day of the week. He goes to this wedding. It's in Cana of Galilee. And the reason they say Cana of Galilee, because it's not talking about there was another Cana that was more prominent and more known. Like, no, this is a little village. And Jesus' mom was at a wedding, meaning that this could have been one of Jesus' relatives or cousins' weddings. And Jesus' mom was helping with the preparations. Mary's helping with all this stuff. And so Jesus went to the wedding, and he went with his disciples. So we have a wedding, a small town which probably at this point was somebody's open house. And Jesus goes and he starts doing miracles and extraordinary things. And can I tell you this morning, Jesus wants to move in the ordinary everyday situations of life. He wants to move in your home. He wants to move while you're giving someone a ride to work. He wants to move when you walk into the coffee shop. He wants to move in all of these situations that are seemingly unimportant, and random, and just a bunch of errands. He wants to move in all those situations everywhere we go, turning the ordinary into the extraordinary moments of life. See, why a wedding? Well, I would say this. Because he was at a wedding, a wedding is a happy place. Sometimes, I think we only share our faith when people are hurting and broken, and then we're like, oh, now Jesus can help you because you're in a bad place. No, Jesus can help them when they're in any place a wedding's a happy place. It's an exciting place. So next wedding you're at, instead of looking for someone single, you know, start talking to people about Jesus and the single ladies will find you guys, okay? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But Jesus wants to move in these situations. Charles Spurgeon said this, He said, there are more flies caught with honey than with vinegar, and there will be more souls led to heaven by a man who wears heaven in his face. Like sharing what God wants to do in people's life should be an exciting thing. It's not a like, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you want to come to church and you want to quit doing this and quit doing that and be bored for the next 50 years of your life, like, yeah, you could come to church with me. My God, he's better than that. I mean, he's in the celebratory moments of life. He's in the good times and the bad times. And there's opportunity for Jesus to do extraordinary things in the most ordinary of places. And we need to embrace that. We need to be willing and aware that Jesus wants to do these things. So if we are going to be those that say, let's go. And as we go, we're going to make disciples or we're going to cause people to encounter Jesus, we must be aware that he's going to use ordinary everyday situations of life. You know, another, uh, when I was studying, another uh, theologian said this. He said, Jesus never counted it a crime to be happy, so why should his followers do so? (laughs) It's like, We need some more Christians with some joy, excited about bringing people along with what God is doing. So we need to be aware that he wants to use ordinary, everyday situations. Number two this morning. As we go, we must remember that he uses ordinary vessels. He uses ordinary vessels. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, standing nearby were six stone water jars, which were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold... 20 to 30 gallons. These were stone clay pots. They weren't works of art. They weren't these big, bright things. They were literally a pot that you bought so you could put 20 to 30 gallons of water in, so you could put a dish into it or a cup, and when people would come in your house, you would wash or rinse the dust off their feet or say, oh, you need to wash your hands before dinner, and you would go like, it's like it wasn't the most elaborate of spaces, in the house. It wasn't the most elaborate vessel or item, but there were six of them standing there, and Jesus says, I want to use those. And we have to remember that we might look at our lives and think, I don't have this gifting or that gifting, and I'm not shiny in that area, or I'm not like an extraordinary person jesus didn't look for that all the time he looked for ordinary vessels stone clay pots in our frailty in our humanness in our weakness in the the dust of the earth from which we were formed and we look at our lives that way jesus chooses to move and work through ordinary individuals And so, what we have to do is understand that and allow Him to fill us. Allow Him to pour the water of His Spirit in us so it can be dispersed out to other people. Jesus wants to take your ordinary everyday life that you think is so dull and unexciting and God would never use me this way. And what He wants to do is He wants to fill you. He wants to fill you on Sunday. He wants to fill you on Monday. He wants to fill you every day this week so that at any point in time, as you go, there is a well to draw from out of your ordinary life where Jesus can do an extraordinary miracle for somebody else and this is what he's doing and this is the picture here but I want us to see a little bit deeper because when you look at the stone jars there's actually a few things that lead us into a deeper picture see there were six jars The number six speaks of the number of man in the scriptures. Seven was the number of perfection. Six jars represented the law. The law wasn't perfect. The law wasn't enough. The number of man is never enough. But as Jesus filled the jars, there was a grace and there was a completeness and there was a life of God that came upon it. Jesus says even though that it's only six stone water parts, grace is what will bring the miracle. And so we can look at our lives and we can say, I'm not enough. I can't fulfill all that God wants me to do on my own. I can't keep the law. But when you are filled with the grace and life of Jesus, all of a sudden grace supersedes all of those insecurities, the law, and all of those things. And so it's six jars representing the perfection of the law and imperfection of the law in our lives. And then they were filled with the new wine of His grace. The water turned to wine was the Holy Spirit, representation of the Holy Spirit, and the new wine which he poured out was the grace and life of God, full of life, joy, color, and all the things that God wants us to experience. But when you add those things together, what you get is 180 gallons of wine in those six pots. Guys, that's like 750 bottles of wine. For a small wedding in a village in Galilee, here's the picture. This is not about oh, I'm just going to get enough, and I don't want you embarrassed. Don't want the, the bride and the groom to be embarrassed. This is the grace of God saying, guess what? There will never be a situation, there will never be a time where my grace is not enough. You see, whatever the challenge is, the grace of God is further and it's more than enough and it's over and it covers every situation. Even though they couldn't have probably even drank that much wine. It was actually this picture that people like, John, why would you say the number? Because it was absolutely absurd how much wine Jesus made at this wedding. But it was a picture of Jesus saying, guess what? When you have lack When you have want, when you meet someone on the street corner that is broken and hurting, when you meet someone in your office tower that has everything in the world and they still don't know what's missing in their life, Jesus is saying, my grace is enough to cover all of it. There will never be a lack in his grace. So if we remember that Jesus uses ordinary vessels, he can use my life and your life, even though it's plain, it's basic. If we would allow him to fill us put the new wine of His grace and His joy and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, guess what? It just goes to show that as we go, whatever situation Jesus is going to call you into and He's going to ask of you, He's got enough grace to cover you and to be with you and to do the thing that He said He wanted to do. So Jesus goes to ordinary everyday situations. So as we go, Are we aware that ordinary, everyday situations are opportunities for his miracle? Jesus uses ordinary, simple vessels, your life and my life, if we would say, Jesus, I need you to fill me. I need you to fill me and pour into me. I need your grace. I'm not enough, but your grace is enough. Number three this morning, and and the last thing that we need to be aware of and we need to remember as we go is this, as we go, we need to trust that miracles will happen as we pour out what Jesus has put into our lives. See, it still takes faith, and it still takes trust. John chapter 2, verse 7 to 11. So Jesus told his servants, fill the jars with water, And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. I want us to notice something here. Jesus says, fill the jars. He says, fill it to the brim. Some translations say that. To make sure there was nothing else in there. Like they could see. They weren't just, he made sure that it was water overflowing the top. Like there wasn't wine in there and he was just diluting it. Like this was this was an absolute miracle. And he says, as soon as it was filled. He didn't say, bring me a cup so I can test it and I can taste it and make sure the miracle happened. He didn't say, you test it and see if you're okay with the miracle that I did. The very next line, Jesus says, now take some and pour it out, distribute it. And sometimes in our lives, we're so worried about God, I know you've been filling me. I know you've been filling me. And the minute he says pour out, we're like, okay, well, I'll talk to them next week when I've studied some more and I've looked this up and, I, and I've prayed some more. No, no. When Jesus says pour it out, we're called to pour out. And we're to trust him for the miracle. Because then sometimes if we always take those back steps and back pedals, we think, oh, I did that. I studied on evangelism, and I studied on the thing that that person's going through, and I did it all on my own. Now, here's the thing. You don't need to be worried about screwing up all the time. If Jesus is asking you to pray for someone, encourage them, speak into their lives, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit does miracles in those moments, even if we don't have all the right words or all the right education or the study tools. Like, we don't go off and just randomly start saying things to people, but there are moments where Jesus gives you opportunity to speak or to pray into someone's life, and it actually becomes those miracle moments where Jesus pours out through us. So it says, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. Do you know the best is always in front of you if you were following Jesus? This miraculous sign at Cana was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And I want us to remember that Jesus is working miracles as we go. And did you know that when he asks you to step out, sometimes it's just as much for your faith as it is for the person that you're ministering to? Because there's nothing like seeing God move in a situation where someone encountered Jesus for the first time or someone experiencing breakthrough because of you, have prayed for them. Then you go away and you're like, oh my gosh, God actually moves. He worked in me, and he worked through me. And in this situation, Jesus did a miracle, and it says his disciples believed in him. You are going to have more faith and more belief in the ordinary situations of life, and you're going to have more faith that God can use your life as an empty vessel when you actually start stepping out and doing the things he's called you to do as you go. Because as you see him move, your faith begins to grow. One translation says this. It says, at this moment, the disciples faith, it wasn't just about following Jesus because this was a cool idea and this was a good thing to do all of a sudden they realized that they were on a pathway to see miracles happen and lives change and it says their faith began to blossom it began to open up and for some of us, the steps to seeing our faith open up and us growing in our discipleship process, in our apprenticeship with Jesus is simply doing the things that he's called us to do So why don't we stand this morning, and if we're going to trust miracles will happen when Jesus pours out from our lives, we need to trust that he's actually working miracles inside of us as well. William Barclay said this about this passage. He said, what John wants us to see here is not that Jesus once on a day turned some water into wine. He wants us to see that whenever Jesus comes into a man's life, there comes a new quality which is like turning water into wine. See, without Jesus, life is dull and stale and flat. When Jesus comes into it, life becomes vivid and sparkling and exciting. Without Jesus, life is drab and uninteresting, but with him, it's thrilling and exhilarating. Come on, church. As we go... Let's believe God to move in ordinary places. Let's believe God to use ordinary vessels. And let's trust him to bring miracles as we are willing to pour out when he asks us.